Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one in Classic Cars and Coffee, Celebrity Squares. It's in Perth, Western Australia. Um, I've gathered for you uh, the luminaries of the Perth Motorcycle and Car uh, Enthusiast Group, and I'd like to introduce you to my three guests, my four guests, I beg your pardon. And um, so I'm going to let them do that. Immediately to my left, that's that way on this screen, Ross Mace. Tell me about yourself, Ross. Hey, well, I'm Ross. Uh, thanks for having me. It's going to be a bit of fun. Sure will. Tell me about yourself. Well, I, I got into cars, I think probably like a lot of people, just growing up watching Top Gear as a kid. And then it just snowballs from there. And then when I was old enough to get my license, that's when the, the car hunting began. It never um, ends. It never ends. Never. Um, and I understand you're a motor mechanic. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Finished my apprenticeship a year ago. And uh, it's, yeah, work on cars. I, I specifically chose you because you represent uh, a very uh, vital and active demographic within the classic car movement in Perth. You're the, I deem you to be the young guys in this group anyway. And uh, also you produce your own music. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We just you playing a band. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank yeah. you. I'm going to move directly beneath me now. And this gentleman here is uh, he. Well, he goes by the name Rex Havoc. Now, that couldn't really be someone's name, could it? And uh, Rex, I understand you've got a um, you work in the motorcycle industry in sort of two aspects of it. Yeah, I do. Uh, so about 10 years ago it's a, it's a long story but 10 years ago i started uh himalayan heroes and uh grew it up to a, a couple of hundred people a year would come on uh, motorcycle adventures through uh india nepal mongolia and, and places like that uh, and then COVID came along and, and stopped all of that so i've been working at uh motormax in uh, osborne park uh, selling royal enfields and mv augustas benelli's things like that and we, we did a few more trips over to India uh, last year and to Mongolia. And I'm off to India in a couple of weeks again, uh, uh, very shortly. So that looks like that whole market's coming back on stream. Oh, yeah, 100%. Very oh, fantastic. Mm. You saved me a spot. Absolutely. And then diagonally across here is my old mate from primary school. Can you believe that? He used to live over the back fence in Como. Jeff Ash, tell me about yourself. Well, I think that's a that's a sad indictment on your mathematical abilities, uh, Simon, because uh, you may up. have gone to primary school with my brothers, but <laughs> certainly it wasn't me. Um, so, Please, Jeffrey. Yeah, I'll be nice. Um, basically, uh, my first word was car, uh, even before mum or dad, uh, and I grew up in your typical 80s sort of suburban household There was you know, V8 Holdens, V8 Fords, two-litre Escorts, you know, 260Zs. It was just, it was the perfect 80s car household. And then um, got into European stuff, 205 GTIs, Porsches. Uh, and then I started importing Skylines, Supras, that sort of stuff out of Japan in the late 90s. Um, and that's, that's pretty much me. Uh, I've got a shed full of japanese things now so yeah he's that's no exaggeration no exaggeration whatsoever um if anybody is lucky enough to get the jeff ash tour um it's fantastic it really is something and so 
in terms of classic cars and coffee, you're Mr. JDM. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, uh, I've i been at most of them. I was at the first one and um, just followed on. I, I volunteered for a while um, just uh, probably because of my Japanese knowledge. There's not a lot of people in the classic car scene that have um, certainly modern Japanese mm. knowledge. You know, there's a lot of guys that are into the Datsuns and that type of thing. But, uh yeah. So I was I was fortunate enough to be involved for many years in that capacity. Welcome to Classic Cars and Coffee, all of you. Now, down the bottom is uh, the founder, Derek Graham, who I've known quite a while too. It's pretty tragic here. I've just gathered uh, you know, four of my mates together. And uh, so, Derek, please explain yourself and um, over to you. Well, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge Jeff, and he was one of our great door bitches and uh, greatly appreciate that. <laughs> We've had three great door bitches and one of them is Jeff and one of them is Chris Clark and one of them is uh, Ross Dunn. And uh, although that's a very derogatory name, it's a really tough job because they have to filter the cars coming in um, and they inevitably get some of the pushback and grumble when the car isn't accepted into classic cars and coffee. Um, and so we try and make that clear, but it's terrific having the guys out there doing that tough job. Um, and so, uh, yeah, look, I, I, my first car experience is actually a go-kart experience. And, and my parents had a, um, an Arab stub with 16, 16 Arab horses. And my two brothers were mad horse riders. I thought they seemed quite pleasant animals, but I didn't see the whole point of the whole thing. They just seemed to be very high maintenance and, and, and difficult, and they didn't do what you wanted them to do, you know? And, and I was all of six years of age and dad built a rear-engined go-kart um, with a with a sort of a chrome molly frame built around it um, and solid wheels. And the minute I got into that car, that was it. I just discovered that my entire future was these fabulous, fun cars that drove very quickly and and were engaging to drive. And so, um, so yeah, I've had lots of different cars over the years: English cars and German cars and motorcycles too. So. Um, and classic cars and coffee just came out of my passion for cars. And um, I'm glad it gives people joy, but be assured it gives me huge joy every single time I go there. So, Derek, thank you very much. And thank you also for being the uh, the creator of something which I think has become a really important part of the Perth calendar. And, um, you know, we, you and I have spoken off the record about the importance not just in the car world, but the you know the charity aspect of this, and I'd like you to speak to that in a minute. But from from what I recognise is there's a terrific contribution to mental health for people mm. who this is their major event of the month. They um, they sort of save up their their uh, social outings to come to this event, particularly as uh, contributors. You know, people who have cars, and um, I, I just know it when I walk around and I see people you can't go five meters without bumping into somebody you have to talk to because you haven't seen them mm. for a month that's mm. a wonderful thing very mm. valuable yeah it's you that first saw that in fact um our, our goal was always to create fun and joy so mm. it, it's no by accident um when people arrive in 
um, there's a damn good chance that they would have been greeted with a smile and a, and a hello and great to see yeah. you again or I love your car or you've done some great work or in the case of a lot of the old V-dubs and rat rods, you know, couldn't you at least wash the damn thing? You know, as they come in the, the door, there's something to be able to say or comment or engage them just because um, we want them to feel part of the family and welcome to that. And, yeah. and I think that sort of beginning and all the guys know everyone's brief to do the same. And by the way, it's no effort because it's a joy to see the cars arriving, you know. Uh, and so that's a first part of it. And we think that sort of sets the scene. So then all these cars are parked everywhere. Um, everyone knows whether you've got a million dollar Ferrari or a Morris Minor or a Maserati or whatever it happens to be, everyone knows that those cars sit alongside each other and they're not intentionally grouped. Yeah, we have little groups that are a small club that mm -hmm. says we want a spot, but otherwise they're not intentionally grouped. The whole idea is that people are able to mingle with each other and chat with each other, rock up to buy a coffee. And as they're in the queue, they can talk to the guy next to them. Sooner or later, you know, we get to know each other and yeah. the conversations and friendships occur. It was you that spotted that that was um, a real mental health um, uh, advantage. And, uh, and, and, I, and I think you're right now in hindsight. Yeah. I'd like to uh, invite Rex in. What I've noticed, there's two things, and Jeff, there's two things that have happened more recently, which have given two new um, aspects to uh, classic cars and coffee. And one of them is the introduction of the bike section, which is really growing, because I saw a lot of really like um, pre-war stuff there um, last week. And the other thing is the JDM section has been um, given its own uh, location within the, the university. So these things can grow and become uh, really focused. Firstly, over, over to you, Rex, if you wouldn't mind. Did you go to the last meeting? No, I didn't make the last one. Well, there was a heap of really yeah. interesting bikes there. I would have put it somewhere. Well, you know, that that's part of the, the group that's growing. And I think it's going to just grow like Topsy. And it's got a, a, an elevated stage, a sort of a section, which is the, it just bikes. And there was uh, quite a lot. There was some really early stuff there, a whole sprinkling of uh, Italian, Japanese yeah. stuff, um, sort of uh, 70s, 80s, Yamis, Kawasaki's, um, all that sort of stuff that I just dribble all over. I can't help myself. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that I think is really set to boom as, a, as a, an area of classic cars and coffee. The other one that is it's already booming is Ooh. Jeff and this GDM section, JDM section. Um, how many cars are you getting down that end? Well, I would say it's it's the entirety of the business school car park that's full uh, pretty much every event these days. And, uh, I mean, Derek would be able to speak to how many actual spots there is. Um, I mean, whilst, uh, whilst it was always nice to have uh, you know, the cars I like in amongst all the, the European stuff and the American stuff, uh, it's all to have our own little subset down there. So uh, it's it's wonderful that it's a regular thing now. So, yeah, really pleased that that's come, come to pass. Now, Ross, I can't really invite you in because you're not running a section, but I do know that you're a big Volvo fan. And um, this, for me brings home Derek's point about every car is welcome if it's if it fits into a um, somebody's got to love it and love it for the right reasons and Derek can probably illustrate that better than anybody in a minute but my point is that um, you know early Volvos I know I've had a 
sprinkling of them, but right through 240s, all, all the rear wheel drive stuff is absolutely cherished and loved. And I, it makes it gives me a little warm glow when I walk down past the Saabs and then I get right down the end on the left-hand side and there's a row of 10 rear wheel drive boxes. I love it. It's so good, isn't it? It's <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, and I love the weirdest people get out of those cars. It's just fantastic. Yeah, they certainly do. <laughs> um, so one of the things that, if you're watching this uh, overseas or somewhere, what the, the venue is set, and Derek, I'd like you to hop in any minute, but it, the venue is set at the University of Western Australia, but it didn't start off like that. But the, I'll extol the, the virtues of the University of Western Australia car park, and it's got to be the intimacy of it. So there's, I think it's uh, two roads that give us six bays deep or wide, uh, and in that is a huge amount of really mature trees. So you've got an environment where you've got an intimacy, all the cars in parking bays, not just spread out everywhere. And you have tree canopy giving terrific shade in the summer months and a place for people to find respite from the from the sun and chat and eat ice creams and coffee and all the rest of it. But it didn't, it wasn't going to start off like that. Derek, what's the story of uh, ending up at the University of Western Australia? Um, it was a bit of a meandering river to get there. Uh, so it, so Classic Cars and Coffee first started with the Porsche Club of Western Australia. And at the time, I and my partner, Grace, were social directors, often couples of social directors of clubs. And uh, I said, well, let's do this thing called Cars and Coffee. We sure didn't invent Cars and Coffee. Cars and Coffee was invented in the, in the mid-80s, um, somewhere either in the UK or America. They're still arguing over where it started. Um, but nonetheless, in the UK of America, there are 200 cars and coffees in the United States of America. Some of them don't meet very regularly. Not many of them are as large as what we do on a regular basis. And some of them are enormous, um, like with thousands of cars um, on a monthly basis. What and sort of numbers so, are we getting? So um, I just had a look. So Jeff, you said in regards to car park number nine, which is where the business school is. So there are 261 bays there. Um, and last time uh, Classic Cars and Coffee met, it was lovely weather in the middle of sort of, well, towards the end of winter, beginning of spring. And that surprised us. And uh, that met all of car park number three, which is the one right next to the UWA library. And, um, and so that is uh, 335 car bays. Uh, car park number four, which is the whole inner length that goes past the tavern up towards um, car park nine. And car park number four is 157 bays. Car park number six is 58 bays. And then car park number nine is 261. For, so for those of you that are trying to do mental arithmetic, that's 811 bays um, out of yeah. all of those. We tend to get about half a dozen student cars there, um, which are left overnight because they couldn't possibly drive it home. Um, and, um, and we get a, a few UWA cars, probably you could count eight or 10 maximum. So that takes it down to 800. Uh, and then you can take about, um, about 14 or 15 of them away because the coffee vans are sitting over the top of them yeah. and things like yeah. that. So you're basically talking about 790 cars is the capacity, um, that we can take. And last event, it was at capacity, um, so, so, so when we did the first event, it was in a very, very cold, wet car park um, at City Beach next to the ocean. Um, it was in a May day and, uh, and the wind was coming in at about like 20 knots. 
Um, and I had put this out to the Porsche Club, come along and we'll create this thing called, you know, Cars and Coffee just for the club. And I said, but I know you guys have got some cheeky cars in the garage that aren't Porsches. And so bring them instead. And so we had about 35 RSVPs and 67 cars turned up. And I'm going, hang on. And this is amazing. And there were E-type Jags, Testarossas, uh, Morgans, Lotuses, all these other things that these tragic diehards, like all of us on this screen, and probably a few of the listeners, um, can relate to the fact that these are the gems that they've kept in their garage, and they don't often take them out and show them. And there they were. At any rate, there were no coffee vans. We all went to the local co cafes and dragged these cups back and stood around and shivered. And everybody was there for two hours. And I thought, oh, this was just so much fun. Let's do it again. And I called my friend and colleague, um, Paul Blank, who was co-founded Classic Cars and Coffee um, with me way back then in 20, late 2016, early 2017. And I said to Paul, um, you know, let's do this thing called Cars and Coffee, but let's do Classic Cars and Coffee so that essentially we can, you know, filter out the volume cars that we just simply can't cope with because mm. i've watched cars and coffee and what tends to happen is you get an enormous number of holdens and fords and there's your gig and and that means that a lot of the other guys just turn up a few times and go home and they never go back so we set this somewhat mm, difficult set of criteria and said look it's not a holden and ford gig anything pre-1980 is enormously welcome post-1980 then it's got to be european classic super exotic um, or a specialist um, sort of club car. And, yeah. uh, and off we went. The first event was in City Beach with 150 cars that turned up. Uh, it was the first time it was called Classic Cars and Coffee. Um, and we meandered our way through to UWA um, by going to the city of Perth. And because we said to the city of Cambridge, who were looking after us in that car park, we love where we're at. Thank you very much. Can we rent it? every week, every month, et cetera, right through it. And they said for $80, which was very generous of them. Mm -hmm. um, and they said not for summer because it's right next to the beach. And it was obvious that it was not for summer. So we tried in, in the city of Perth and they said, certainly you could, but it will cost you $20,000 per event. Mm -hmm. And so we said to them that they weren't very competitive and that the city of Cambridge could do it for $80. Um, so at any rate, all of my sarcastic returns didn't seem to embellish the situation. Things just got worse and they said no. Um, and then we found UWA and UWA is just wonderful because they actually have an edict. They have a, a set of regs that says, reach out and let the public use our facilities on the way, on the weekends in a manner that is beneficial to the public and 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 sort of something that puts uwa in a good light well, wow it turned out that we we met that so they gave us a three-month trial and we did our, we were on our best behavior and uh and and now we're actually defined as a as a uwa partner um so awesome. yeah there we go who do you who do we raise money for where does the uh, the collection go so by about the third or fourth um, meeting, we decided to connect a charity to it um, and, and thought a lot about this. And we considered the demographics of, of our audience, which at that stage was particularly skewed to men in their sort of late 40s, 50s. Now, it's changed now. It's got much younger, um, which is really um, wonderful. 
and a lot more women, of course, and of course, the families and the dogs and all the rest of it. At any rate, yada, yada. So when we looked at it to begin with, um, it was this looked like a, a, a logical um, charity, which was the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. Mm. Um, and I had a little bit of, well, you know, a pretty solid connection to that because I lost my brother Stuart to prostate cancer and he was a very good fellow and he, um, he would have loved this event. He always had XJS convertibles and other very silly cars. Um, he also had a Jensen Interceptor with a 7.2 litre V8 in it, all these really silly English cars with bad electrical systems. Um, and so Stuart would have loved this event. So it, we, we went with Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia and those guys are fabulous. Yeah, they're a great partner. Thank you, Derek. Uh, Rex, can I call you in? Is there anything in the motorcycle world, uh, particularly in Perth, that is, I mean, we have the runs which get advertised on Facebook and I've been on several, including a couple of yours. Uh, the last one was a single cylinder run, which mm. I just loved. Yep. And uh, those bloody Royal Enfields are too noisy, by the way. <laughs> Jeez, I couldn't even hear, I couldn't hear my own motorbike uh, <laughs> over the, the noise of Wayne Coles. Yeah. His, his single cylinder. Yeah. Oh, what a noisy beast that is. Any, anywho, um, is there anything, is the equivalent exist in the two wheeled world? Uh, probably the, the, the most, the event that is probably the most similar is uh, Two Wheels, One Love, which is run by Rogue Motorcycles mm -hmm. on the third yep. Sunday of every month, uh, apart from the three months in winter. So that starts about 7.30, finishes about 10, and it's every type of bike. So everything from Harleys to adventure bikes yep. to sports bikes, but obviously a lot of classics and custom bikes are there. Yeah, I've, I've taken three of my bikes to that, yeah. and it's 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 also good. Um, I really see the uh, bike section growing because you somebody can go to one event yeah. on a Sunday. You've got two hours to cover the ground, but, but for me that's impossible because I spend two hours. I, I walk five meters and chat. Yeah. But the, the point I'm oh, making is that, that you're going to have a whole. If the, as this grows, a lot of bikes, a lot of uh, European stuff, and a whole mess of Japanese stuff too, all in this sort of condensed formula mm -hmm. in one spot. It, it really augurs well for a lot of bikes and uh, Japanese oh, cats getting there. hundred percent, but people, they want something to do. So yeah, if it's the, the first Sunday of the month then they'll be, people will be down there. Yeah. One of the things that I like best is that it's done and dusted by 10. Yeah. Depending absolutely. on the time of the year it is, but boy, that's, and that also makes it appealing to families. You know, you, your kids aren't going to be stuck at some car event from sunrise to sunset yeah. you know, and chained to a debt chair under a tree with a yeah. bowl of water. Mm, yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> Yeah, well, the old, day, the old days of motorcycle shows from all, all day and then the trophies get awarded at three o'clock. No, no one's got six, seven hours to hang around anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to uh, going to run around the, the group again and talk to people about what what's in the driveway driveway and garage. What are they working on? What are, they, uh, what are their interests? So I'm going to cut across to Ross, if you wouldn't mind, Ross. Uh, what lights for your fire, mate? Well, so I've got a, an 88 Volvo 240. And beautiful looking car they are yeah lovely to drive oh, I, i'm a fan big fan not not particularly fast but it's not always at that speed is it well <laughs> the, the point is you need to be seen when you're driving a brick like that and, and this allows that for the public you're doing a public service really that's right so so the volvo and a 77 leyland mini okay that's interesting oh. so what have you that's I've never seen that car, and I've seen your Volvo, of course. Tell yeah. me about that. 
Well, the, it's not actually finished. It's an ongoing restoration that's been probably the last four years. Um, I've, I've driven it twice on the road. Just needs to just got to finish off the last couple of bits, fine tune okay. the carb, and then hopefully it'll be at uh, one of the coming up meets. Oh, that sounds great. Was it a uh, you know bare metal type restoration? Yeah, yeah, back to bare metal, and yeah. Is the colour a secret, or is that uh, available no, no. to us? So originally it was a, a creamy sort of colour. I ended up going with tartan red with a black roof. Oh, I like it. You love a black roof. I know that. Go on, confess with the Volvo. Come on. Yeah, it's got a uh, vinyl wrapped roof. <laughs> what colour is it? It's black. Oh, okay. Oh, I get this. I, I recently uh, bought my first motorcycle as well. Oh, what did you buy? Nice. Yeah, <laughs> things are improving, Ross. Yep, I've got a uh, Suzuki GN250. Oh, that's a nice bike. And um, someone along the way has done a cafe racer sort of conversion. And it's, um, it's. I mean, it's nothing crazy, but it, it's it's fun. Oh, they're yeah. a sweet bike. Yeah, yeah. yeah nice. Very nice. Oh, well, congratulations. Things are looking good. Yeah, that's now, enough for now. Certainly that's enough. a lot of uh, Jeff, I know this is a very dangerous question to ask you because when I say what's in the shed, it's like, whoo, get a seat, sit down, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> a cup of tea. Jeff's oh. going to tell you what's in the shed. Yes. Uh, oh. What is in the shed? Um, no, I've just, uh, the last couple of months, I got a, um, a current model GR86, uh, which is the new Toyota sports car. So they've got the yeah, 2.4 yeah. up from the two litre. Um, and it's one of the it's one of the few naturally aspirated cars that I've had that's almost fast enough um, straight out of the box. I was intending to turbo it straight up, yeah. Um, but it's like we put it on the dyno and it made nearly two hundred horse at the wheels. So I mean that's that's impressive. That's respectable power. Um, yeah. So just put a shorter rear end in it and some big wheels and lowered it and you know just normal things. But of course um, you did. Yeah. It's it's a hoot. It, it, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be it's got to be low on some Japanese wheels, and um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. This but, is the uh, Boxer Subaru great. engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the Subaru engine. So they they've bought it out to two point four. Um, but yeah, that turbo kit's still calling calling to me, and they're only uh, turbo kit seven and a half, and I don't know. That's that's a uh, hundred cheap kilowatts in my <laughs> is that in right? my uh, calculations. So. That, yeah, I love it to bits. It's um, you had it's a, a great thing. You had a Yaris GR. Have you still got that? No, no. It um, it bored me to tears. Actually, it okay. um, it was incredibly fast and incredibly capable, and uh, I was sure I was going to lose my license in it. Um, so yeah, I just I was just bored by it. So I like um, I'd much rather go slower and uh, more sideways. Because again, you know, you need to see people need to see you doing stuff. So, uh, yeah, it um it was lovely, um, but yeah, it had it had to go. It just it was not my kind of thing. I understand. Ponder on this question, everybody, and I'm going to cut to Rex next and ask him the same question. But hold this question: um, Have any of you lost your license? Think on that. <laughs> Don't give me your answer, Rex. Over to you about what's in your shed, because I've got an answer too for both of these. Yeah, um, I, I, well, I just, uh, I, I like two strokes, but two strokes don't like me. So I've just sold my uh, Kajiba Mito 125 mm. and uh, had a Royal Enfield nice. Classic 500 
and I uh, had a good offer on that, so I sold that as well. So I'm left with my 2002 <clears throat> Kawasaki W650, which is uh, unrecognisable to someone. It's it's so heavily customised. Uh, that's a four-stroke. Yeah, yeah. How many cylinders? Parallel twin. Parallel twin, okay. And you've turned that into a cafe racer? Uh, originally, but then uh, it it got knocked over. So I took that as an opportunity to uh, change the handlebars into like a street tracker type thing. It never stops. It doesn't. Never, never stops. So, um, Derek, we're going to pose the same question of you, but we'll keep it restricted to cars we have in Australia, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Don't restrict any of these things. It's all fun and joy. <laughs> um, but Jeff, what you said before was extraordinarily relevant. And, and I wonder whether whether it's just um, when we've got a big history of driving cars, this sort of mentality comes in. So my last Porsche that I own, not my partner's car, um, was a 997 twin turbo manual um, Gen 1. And I got it because it's a to me, it was a classic buy where you look at the depreciation curve, you realize there's something special about the car. So it was the very last all mechanical car. So it didn't have, didn't have um, you know, sequential gearboxes or, or paddle gears or, or anything, but it just had ABS brakes, right? Um, 500 horsepower on an overboost, um, 330 kilometers an hour top speed. So that's triple the speed limit. You know, and and the time I particularly liked on it was it went from eighty to one hundred and ten kilometers an hour in one second. Mm. Um, it was just a nutty fast car, and it was beautiful. It was you know it was cobalt blue, and it's just a lovely thing. And I fell desperately in love with it and managed to acquire it, um, and drove it for about a year and a half, and just got bored with it. And that's an incredible thing to say about a manual Porsche. Um, but it was so competent and so fast that you don't, you didn't get engaged in it till maybe you were doing 180 kilometers an hour. Heaven forbid that never happened, but it just didn't get engaging. And because it just kept on, you go into a corner and go, well, that was easy. And you think, well, I didn't have to set the corner up. I didn't have to do anything. It was just done for me, you know? Um, yeah. And the car I had before that was a 911 SC, 208 horsepower, not 500. Weighed, weighed 1,050 kilograms and every corner I had to work for it. And I sold that car and it's my car of great regret selling. And so there's my lesson. I agree with you, Jeff. Sometimes it's these visceral, and Ross, these, these visceral, engaging, comparatively slow cars that provide the great joy of driving. And certainly that was the case there. I'm of the belief that most fun is had between zero and a hundred kilometers an hour. That's where the, that's where the fun factor exists. Mm -hmm. Well, it yep. needs to in Australia too. Let's be You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> my garage, I beg your pardon. Sorry. My garage is, um, I've got six motorcycles and a, a new Toyota Hiace van, which I just adore. It's a fabulous thing. It was a workhorse. And yes, I know. And I've got a 940 Volvo station wagon, which is just pristine. It's just magnificent. And I've lowered that and put it on Bilstein's and uh, American Springs American Spring. and sway bars and sway bars. all of this stuff. Anyway, so yeah, I'm truly an addict. But the motorcycles that we're 
I have swung heavily in the direction of motorcycles because motorcycles give you more of what I was looking for in Porsche ownership and Lotus ownership, and which is the um, the intimacy of connection with the with the motor vehicle. So you get it with Porsches, you know, that um, is the front end going to grip and, you know, what you've got to do with your accelerator pedal and all of that and the, and the setting up of corners, which Derek describes. So the, the rear wheel, the, the rear engine Porsche experience gives that to you. You cannot not be involved. <laughs> uh, and I've had front, I've had a 968 front engine rear wheel drive Porsche as well. And that was just a joy, did track days and it was fabulous. And then a couple of Lotuses and, but, then I got my bike license and I realized that bikes where it's at, if that's what you're chasing, if you're chasing that absolute connection with machine. And also for me in the, the enthusiast experience is a lot about the internal combustion engine and power delivery. Ooh. Now different engines have different power delivery and give you this different sensation. Some big engines, you don't have to row so much and, and smaller engines, you have to work the gearbox and encourage it. And it's a, it's Ooh. a greater sense of involvement. Anyway, I love all of that stuff. Ooh. That's why I'm an enthusiast. And that's why I've, in the last couple of years, I've swung not entirely, I'll be back into Porsches later. I'm totally convinced of this, but uh, right now in my garage, I have a 19, Gosh, I think it's 1990, I think it is, uh, RD350LC. RD stands for Race Developed, and it's a 350 two-stroke twin liquid-cooled motorcycle uh, that that is just revolutionized motorcycling and brought in the, um, the twin-stage licensing laws, which we have, because too many kids were killing themselves on them in the UK. Yeah. That is a weapon. It's I love it. It sounds crazy. Red red lines at nine and a half, and I two Rex love two strokes. They're smelly, yeah, they're stinky, they're smoky, and I love everything about them. You know, the yeah. noise, the whole damn thing. Yeah. So I'm a bit of an addict, and uh, I love taking off from the lights on my RD three fifty. So that's a beautiful bike. Uh, then I've got a a 1968 uh, Yamaha DT one. There's a bit of a Yamaha theme going on here. And in my street, there was a, an old guy, Roger Fitzharding, who passed away. He's a legend in the West Australian education system, used to be headmaster at Broome Primary School, et cetera. And a lot of people know this man. He lived in my street. I didn't even know he had a couple of bikes in the shed. He passed away. And in his will, he left me the RD, the DT1, the 1968 motorcycle. And uh, we'll insert some photographs of that when I pulled it out of the shed later but we've restored that with my good mate sean moore and um we've got that to a beautiful motorcycle now and uh we'll i've taken along to a couple of classic cars and coffee i've got a, a thing called a gb 500 tt which is a honda single cylinder bike awesome. honda tried making a cafe racer in the 1980s i think mine's an 86 yeah. and um so it's a single cylinder same engine as the xl 500 which won paris dakar in its day so it's but it's this gorgeous factory standard cafe racer style motorbike. And I love that. That's just gorgeous. Makes what, a great what, noise. What color is it, Simon? It's uh, indigo blue. Yeah. With a and I, can just, I can just flip it into corners and it's just such a beautiful bike. And then I've got a monster. Now, those of you that are motoring enthusiasts will, will have heard of the Beast of Turin, the 27 litre uh, 1912 Fiat racing car, I think it is. Anyway. This is not that, but it's close. It's called a, another okay. Yamaha. It's a thing called an MT-01, which is the, the MT range now is really, really popular 
MT stands for Monster Torque. And this thing, <laughs> this thing has 150 Newton meters of torque on a motorcycle. That's like, that stops the earth on its axis when I open her up. And um, it's 1.7 liters. It, Yamaha, for some crazy, like mad reason, stuffed this um, 1.7 liter V-twin engine into their race or race frame, but their sports bike frame, which is called an R1. And they gave it the R1 suspension and they gave it the R1 brakes but it's got this big, fat, lazy, grunty, fabulous engine. Um, so as you can see, out of those four motorcycles, which <laughs> are my road registered bikes, all of them have incredibly different mm. power delivery and a different sound. Mm. And each one gives me a, 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 a lot of joy, but it's so vastly different. It's um, And that for me is part of the excitement of, um, of motorcycles. Then I've got a Deltec mini bike from 1972. And I picked up, yesterday a <laughs> vf uh, <laughs> uh uh honda v4 twin cam 750 a bike i think 1984 vintage and that's a um vf vff 750f which is the the basically the granddaddy of super bikes it's uh, when honda got serious about building a super bike and uh i don't know what i'm going to do with it um but it's, i've got it so, and <laughs> have you. I lost? Have up, I ever lost my license? Ended up buying it. I ended up buying it. Ah, so excellent. Yes, it's it's actually in the van right now because it's too heavy for me to get out by myself. Um, yes, and I I've never lost my license, but I've had to do the double or nothing. And I um, when um, God, who was that prime minister that used to swear at people on aeroplanes um, before Julia Gillard? Rudd. Kevin Rudd. Uh, Kevin Rudd. He brought in that 50% depreciation scheme and I went out and bought myself a John Cooper Works Mini and two days later depreciated by 50%. Thank you, Kevin. And um, I pulled out onto West Coast Highway once and gave it a big welly in first and second and uh, lost seven points within about three seconds of leaving <laughs> the light. And so the guy, the policeman pulled me up and he goes, uh, and he could see all my paperwork because I was selling real estate then. He could see all my paperwork and the, the chaos in my car. And he goes, uh, do a lot of work in your car, do you? I go, yeah, I do. <laughs> he said, well, you just lost seven points, buddy. <laughs> and it's like, I was very sad. So I doubled on nothing. I went the double or nothing. I sold the, the John Cooper Works Mini Clubman. And I bought a uh, E320 Mercedes-Benz, slowed down. And I didn't mind it at all. Ooh. How about you guys? Any licensing? Is lost. No, I just, this is like AA, you know, this is like, you know, oh, it my, is. my name is Derek Graham and I'm an alcoholic, you know, <laughs> so I, it's just, I'm not sure I want to confess this publicly, but the answer is yes, but I just won't tell you how many times, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's over many years, but I do want to, I do want to answer one question that sort of I've been thinking about for a little while, and that is that, you know, we're talking about these really visceral experiences. Um, of, um, of of the motorbikes. I totally get that. I, I've got a motorbike too, and I get it, Simon. And and one of the great things about the bikes is that you can buy seven or eight or nine or 10 of them and you can fit them in your garage hmm. and you can turn them over fairly quickly and you can work on them and there's a real engagement level. You can't get 10 cars in your garage, unless you're Jeff, you can't get 10 cars in your garage easily. Um, and, and that's part of the reason why these collecting of bikes has become um, really quite big. And not is it quite big, but it's 
in parallel to the cars. The guys that have got classic cars have got classic bikes. They're not mm-hmm. an exclusive position. Mm-hmm. It's actually both the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeff, the other day you said to me about, um, that's right, we were talking about um, GT3s and, and sort of supercars and that, mm-hmm. you know, that you felt very, uh, you, you felt simpatico with people that were, that had an, an old classic car that they'd restored, et cetera, versus someone that had bought their kind of new GT3 or whatever it happened to be. And, and I thought it was a really valid position, but I've actually bought that new GT3 many, many years ago. And the relationship I had with that car was truly fabulous. Um, and and the, the relationship was different to my old TR4 Triumph, which I restored from start to finish. But the both relationships were really good. Um, you know, the, the, the Porsche was just admiration and love and I couldn't wait to get in the seat and the, the thing rattled and made noises and everything it was meant to do and your heart just roared and I saw why. So although sometimes these collectors could be checkbook collectors, they're just fortunate enough to have enough money to buy one of these things straight out of um, out of, out of Chelly's or Porsche Centre, et cetera, and have it. I assure you they have a relationship with that car that's probably extremely passionate, although they're not going to turn a bolt on it. <laughs> the um it's the the car enthusiast and the motorcycle enthusiast world is a broad church and that's really what classic cars and coffee represents mm. it's the it's mm. the bringing together of a minimum of 850 people on the first sunday of the month and then there's a whole bunch of people that have to park outside along the riverfront and uh, there's some interesting cars out out there too Derek, you and I have been to Goodwood and mm. um, to the Festival of Speed. And the car park is kind of... Oh, it's awesome. The car park is awesome. close to yeah, the that's right. inside, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it really is that good. Um, in the JDM world, Jeff, the there are some cars, you know, at first glance, one would think that it's kind of like you're going to get a whole bunch of Toyota Crowns and Corollas and just bread and butter stuff but it's not like that at all it's what stunned me most about the the jdm section is the weird and wonderful the stuff Mm. that i'd either forgotten about or didn't even know about and we had a discussion um a few weeks back about those two-door dats and 1600s and i Mm. just go what that is a gorgeous car and the detail work and the badges and the trim i love all that stuff yeah i think um one thing that that a lot of people don't really uh, take into account is so many of the Japanese cars from the sort of late 60s and early 70s, they had European designers. And even up, you know, mm. even some Isuzu stuff into mm. the um, into oh, the 80s, divine. like the, the old Isuzu and Holden Piazza, that was a Jajaro car. So, yeah. um, you know, they've, they've certainly got the design pedigree. And um, just further to Derek's point, the thing that, the thing that I really love about classic cars and coffee is when I see something that, you know, like, like there was a Mitsubishi Colt um, a few months ago yeah. and it was just, you know, it was beige and it had this brown velour interior and uh, it was one of the really early ones with the, um, like the fared in headlights. And I just thought, man, that that's a really good shape because, you know, I hadn't seen one for probably 15 mm. years, but then seeing it in isolation and, I guess forgetting that it was a Mitsubishi Colt, um, it was just such a beautiful car. And you know things like the Mitsubishi Cordia, you know, I mean, yeah. wow, 
just stuff like that. That's um, you know, that's some of the the weird and wonderful stuff uh, that you're talking about, and that's um, that's why I love my my little niche of the scene because there is uh, there's so much amazing stuff kicking Reece- around in garages in Perth. Oh, there is. Recently, we've been getting uh, those Toyota Centuries come along. Mm. They blow my mind. They are they are a big, comfortable barge. I've had um, I've had a couple, bought a couple in. Uh, not my cup of tea, but um, they, the people that are, love them really love them. Are they V twelves? Yeah, yeah. So they're a five liter V twelve. They just um, they got their their famous um, J series 2.5 and they put two of them together. So um, yeah, go Toyota, but yeah, they're a beautiful, beautiful engineered car. Um, I've spent you know, all... uh, probably 30 plus minutes just pouring over the attention to detail on mm. one of those blew my, blew my mind. Yeah. They're, they're a beautiful car. So I've actually got one on the next boat. Not, not for myself. Uh, but yeah, I've got one to order, so that's... Uh, that's yeah, there's of... any Yakuza in Perth? <laughs> well, that, that's, the, that's the common uh, uh, belief uh, about Yakuza is that they drive centuries, but uh, my experience in Japan is that they all drive Mercs and Bentleys. Okay. Big well, S-Class, blacked out, um, either white metal. or black, you know, 19-inch Lawrences, just... As you would expect a gangster to to drive, yeah. But yeah they don't. Um, you've got to be kind of a lower level henchman to, uh, to drive a century, unfortunately. Now, Ross, in the um, the Volvo world, there's a a wagon which turns up quite regularly. That's sort of jacked up. Everybody tends to lower their cars, but and then it's got uh, like jerry cans and spare wheels and things on the roof and that kind of eccentricity and insanity i really encourage <laughs> yeah. you know the car um, i mean yeah yeah and uh, there's a few around i think there's a 740 around that gets around he's he's lifted and i've seen him just drive straight over roundabouts and it just <laughs> <laughs> uh, i love that madness yeah, yeah the, uh, look, there's a so couple that that um come in in a kingswood um, and these guys would be like 2021 20, and boyfriend and girlfriend. The Kingswood is probably mid early 70s, mid 70s station wagon. And it comes complete with the um, Venetian blinds in the back of it um, and a crocheted back cover, a crocheted back little quilt that goes over the back seat. Um, and it is and, and there's a picnic hamper in the back of it. It looks like they've just stolen it out of their grandmother's yard and it's their pride and joy and um yeah that's that's another special thing i i adore that sort of stuff um also love to see um the the sprinkling of um rear engine vws that we've got and mm. uh like a big selection of escorts um mm. I, mean, I love all that stuff and there's more and more minis are getting down there as well um and i think we had a uh, and mini mokes too um yeah and then, and then you get those two crazy guys that uh, dress up in uh, German military costume, and, and the Kugelwagen. Yeah, yeah. And I just love those guys. They uh, yet they they might represent the um, the Third Reich, 
but they talk with very plum British accents, those two boys. Wonderful British accent, yep. <laughs> and then a week later, they arrive in a Californian police car complete with fake donuts on the front, um, and that's those guys, and they get dressed in Californian police gear. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, so, no, they're wonderful guys. They're just full of humour, and they arrive, and, and everyone meets them, and they laugh away. I mean, like the Blues Brothers car that we get turned yeah. up. Yeah that mm, comes complete yeah. with the Blues Brothers music when it comes into the place. You can hear it coming down the road, dun 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 as it comes down. The, all the guys sitting in the car, they got the hats and the glasses on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Education. Mm. So um, um, this leads yeah. us also to what's coming up on the 29th of September. And it's a first for Perth, but Perth is going to host its very own um, Festival of Speed, just like Goodwin. Mm. Well, it's going to, it's a one day event for the first one. Mm -hmm. And it's associated to classic cars and coffee. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be sort of, uh, the day will be divided into two halves. One of it will be sort of a, uh, a rolling road um, of interesting cars. Um, so it'll ch a chance for people with those sort of cars you just never see. And I understand we've got cars coming down from Asia, um, make, is getting shipped down specifically for the day. Now, that's only about five weeks away. And then the second half is where people get to have a chance to go on the track. Ooh. So, um, Derek, can you, can you enlighten us any more about that? Well, I, I'd have to blame you for a lot of this, um, a lot of this, Simon. And that is that many, many years ago, he, uh, he was an auctioneer at a charity auction and two UNICEF. tickets to, yep, UNICEF, was it? Two tickets to Goodwood were made available through a friend of ours. And, uh, and this gentleman provided these two tickets to Goodwood and there wasn't enough bids on it. Simon bought it and then called me and said, would you like to go to Goodwood? And I said, yeah, okay, let's go. And Goodwood was an extraordinarily fantastic experience. The very best of cars, the very British of cars, uh, sort of cars and people, the most famous racing car drivers paraded in front of you one at a time. And the important thing is that broadly, it was access all areas. So everyone could just go all around the place and see amazing cars, go into the pits, talk to the drivers, et cetera, et cetera. And this experience really made an impression on me and I think Simon too. We got to meet amazing people when we were there and, 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 it, and we, we never forgot. And, and about um, a few months ago, um, uh, the West Australian Sporting Car Club approached Classic Cars and Coffee and said, you know, we'd like to do a special event and our focus is on bringing your crowd, so to speak, all of these special cars um, up in a manner where the public can get involved with them, they can go on the track, et cetera, et cetera. And over a four and a half hour coffee, <laughs> um, we, we decided that it would be called Festival of Speed and it will become ultimately our Festival of Speed. Uh, and so the first one, as Simon says, is it's got a little bit of a little bit of going around the track where people can get an opportunity to go out there, you know, pre-organized and go out in the track less than 130 kilometers an hour, I think it is. Um, and they can have some fun on the track and they don't have to have helmets and fire extinguishers and they can take their girlfriend or partner out. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then there's going to be some really interesting cars there, like Joe, Joe Ricardo is going to bring um, one of the um, uh, Red Bull um, Formula Ones to the track and things like that. There'll be famous Formula 5000 cars there, all this sort of thing that you'd expect, but there'll also be magnificent old Cadillacs. And so, so this, we're trying to create, and 
just progressively, not this September, all of it, but part of it. But in due course, we'd like the event to go for two days for people to really get up close and personal with some of the best cars in Australia um, and to have an event which emulates the Australian version of the Festival of Speed. Um, yeah, and I hope question, that Derek, and I, and I don't. Legs. I ask you this without notice, so forgive me. Um, can we get some? Because bikes make a very good noise, don't they, Rex? Oh, and uh, and we could have some really stinky, noisy two strokes in in amongst the the uh, sort of demonstration parade, and they wouldn't take up hardly any room. <laughs> so, so there's nothing against that because the Festival of Speed um, does have bikes in it. Um, and uh, normally, normally Grand Prix bikes with famous racing car drivers, etc. Uh, but there's no reason why not. We've discussed it this time, and it's not happening this time just because of logistics and challenges. Um, but next time, our intention is to um, is to bring classic bikes up there too, and and have a section um, so that the public can roam around throughout the pits and and get up close and personal with uh, the cars and the bikes and the owners to talk to the owners too. It's really important. Uh, mm. to speak to some of the race car drivers or some of the guys that have owned these cars for a long, long time, et cetera. Um, yeah. Mm. And, and we're really part mm. of that community. So a lot of the car collectors of Western Australia, we know them well. In fact, we have a little car luncheon that's quite, it's a, it's a, a quiet affair that we nickname um, One More. And that's what it's called, the car luncheon for car collectors called One More. Um, and these guys all get together and they share their tragic addiction to cars. And it's a wonderful thing. Um, and they are either the most tragic or they're the elders of our society in this area. And of course, when it comes time to things like um, Festival of Speed, it's an opportunity to say to them, now you've got a big car collection, or you've got a really nice small car, what happens to be, can you bring two or three cars? And, and these guys are enormously supportive of that. So mm. you know, one community helps the next community helps the next community, if you see what happens, yeah. So thank you, Derek. I'm looking forward to it immensely. Now, Rex, the motorcycle tours that you do, mm -hmm. they they must be, um, and this is no pun, I'm apologising in advance for this, <laughs> but they must be full of havoc and, uh, <laughs> and, and misadventure. And um, the, you know, you say you've done, uh, several hundred people now have done the tour with you. Wow. Um, I, you know, I just think that's out of Perth. I think that's incredible. Well done yeah. to you. Um, you know, I'm probably a future customer. Um, I've just did the uh, the French ride through the Pyrenees for eight days, a two and a half thousand kilometers. Great experience, and so I kind of I got a taste for it. I know what it's like. Um, and in Perth, you run is it the what you run a Facebook page called the Cafe Racer? Uh, well, it's Perth Cafe Racers. Thank you. So creatively named. <clears throat> yeah, and and that's uh, that just started because when I moved to Perth, I didn't know anybody, and I wanted to go for a ride, so I created mm -hmm. that and. Within a short period of time, there was you know fifty people, and then a hundred people, and then three hundred people, and wow. then we tried to keep it at three hundred people for two or three years, but uh, it, it was too hard. I was <laughs> knocking back you know ten people a day, so it's up around four or five thousand people. So, and that's mainly people that are uh, just they're building a bike and they need help, so they'll ask a question, and then you get ten people uh, helping the, somebody. Either just online, or even I'll go around to the house and and help yeah, them with beautiful. their custom build. Yeah, it's great. Um, and how many rides do you organise, uh, say a year? Well, we would be comfortably do uh, 
uh, one a month on a Sunday and then usually another one a month on a Friday night. So we don't do so many Sunday runs anymore. Everybody seems to be busy, but we do a, a fast Friday, which will go from uh, Leadable uh, along the river into Frio usually. There that was go. the first one I went on oh. and it was such a fast Friday. I lost you all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by, by the time I turned the fuel on yeah. and kickstarted my RD, you'd gone. Yeah. I never saw you again. Yeah, it's not for beginners, that one. No. <laughs> and so any bikes welcome, Rex? Oh, Jen, we, we have had, we, we've never turned anybody away, but generally mm. I think people, they're not going to feel real comfortable when you see all these older custom uh, bikes when they're on yes. a brand new sports bike. They're not going to get out of second gear and, you know, they're mm. not going to enjoy themselves. So it's designed for uh, customised bikes, generally speaking. Yep. That's yeah. a wonderful success. Mm. And, 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 you're about to ask it, I think, in regards to Distinguished Gentleman's Drive. Yes. So the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, right. was that, that commenced in Perth? Are we, are we the instigators of that? I'll take all the glory, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> certainly the genesis of the idea was in was in Perth. Uh, it, it just started when somebody in the Perth Cafe Racer group posted a photo of, uh, of uh, the, the guy out of Mad Men, uh, dressed in a suit on, on a motorcycle right. and he said i wished i looked this cool when, when i was riding so uh somebody else said well let's create let's do a ride next week and we'll all be in suits and then from there i created the ride and then someone from sydney or mark mark Hawa from sydney uh said well we'll do it in sydney at the same time and then we postponed it a couple of weeks and we got everybody involved in australia and it sort of grew so quickly that we thought that we could get other people from uh, around the world involved. So I put the call out to the to UK and they were all over it. And then it, the US were all over it. And I think in the first year we did it, there was like 60, 60 countries involved. So Incredible. Just, That's nuts. fantastic. Yeah. Um, that is I, just a community on steroids, Rex. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. I grew a magnificent moustache for that event <laughs> and uh, rival Colonel Saunders <laughs> and uh, COVID came and my wife is a doctor and she made me shave it off. <laughs> it may I really appreciate her work, it. you know that. <laughs> I really have my own testicles, yes. <laughs> so um, we're going to wrap up in uh, shortly, fellas. And uh, first, it's been a great meet and we'll edit this to suit. But I want to go around. Uh, not all of you answered the question about losing your license <laughs> for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we'll we'll finish off with uh, probably go across to Ross first. And then if there's anything you wanted to cover, this would be the chance in the rundown to cover it. Hey, so Ross, um, you were pretty shy when I asked uh, who'd lost their license. No, no, I'm uh, I'm well behaved on the road, Simon. Yes, I've so never I. <laughs> No, I've never lost my license. Touch okay. wood. Congratulations. Jeff. Uh, you, there's Jeff? a time and a place for everything, Simon, and that's usually a racetrack. And no, I haven't lost my license. So well done. Rex. I've lost my license so many times I couldn't tell you how many. In fact, <laughs> I've got I'm on eleven points right now. I've got one point left for the next two and a half years. I'll probably, sneeze, I'll probably sneeze on the way to work tomorrow and lose my license for the way the stupid rules are. <laughs> you see, so you're on the same stupid rules for everyone else, Rex. <laughs> yes. 
Hey, can there I just make a comment on that? Because they're the same stupid rules here in Perth, Western Australia. And so another story, but you know, I had a car over in Europe for a long time. I had 28 and a half thousand kilometers. I used to write uh, driving around Europe um, in month at a time bursts. Normally about two and a half to three and a half thousand kilometers I would do, and they'd be in and out of major cities and different countries, etc. I wrote an article about how many fixed and and moving um, multinovas I saw in two and a half to three thousand kilometers, and it was approximately the same number I'd see if I looped Perth two or three times. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. have far more multinovas and speed cameras than any city. I visited in Europe and, and I, yeah, there was a lot of countries I visited in yeah. Europe. Um, yeah. And so, yes, it is how Rex, that's the rules of our road. Um, but don't think for a moment that every city in the world has as many multinovas as no. Perth and, and Victoria, et cetera, does. So yeah. They just don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so please, you spoke up, Rex. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me well, started. Anything you'd like to cover before we uh, head towards the exit and the sign off? Um, I'd like to do one thing, and that is that um, acknowledge um, Luke and um, and uh, his team at Japanese Car Spotting, uh, because those guys run JDM, um, and um, and the great thing about it is JBN, JDM is not a Japanese car meet; it is a Japanese car show. So they are there determining what is the appropriate car to display so that the quality of JDM is constantly building and there's really good, good stuff there. And that, that team, that Japanese car spotting team, um, they just do a great job um, of running Car Park 9. Um, and so, yeah, just want to say thanks to them. Whenever I get down, which is about every second event, I get down there to spend some time there. Um, the guys take me around and um, despite my love of cars, they give me a Japanese car, specialist car 101 journey and say, See this car here, Derek? That's why it's so special. Um, yeah, I, I love visiting um, that car park nine and seeing what those guys have managed to sort of curate into that car park. Now, Rex, mm -hmm. do you think there's a chance we could have a Caf Perth Cafe Races um, run that ends up at Classic Cars and Coffee on a Sunday morning? While we've while we've been doing this, I've already shared the Facebook thing to the uh, to the group asking who's coming. So it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Um, so anybody else want to say anything before we uh, do the sign off? Um, thank you. So um, a big thank you to all of you. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Rex. Thank you, Derek. But mostly thank you for not mentioning that I stuffed up the previous recording. Oh. I, and both of you, all of you have been incredibly kind, oh. <laughs> very kind, oh, not to rub my nose in it. And oh. uh, so that for that, I appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, that's a wrap for our very first Classic Cars and Coffee Celebrity Squares in Perth, Western Australia. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Good on you, Simon. Yeah.